Thank you, Elder Allen, for leading us in our service. Welcome everyone here as we come to the end of our series in Efficiency before we do a summary next week. I think the lights are a little bit dim, is that right? Okay, the full lights are on because the dim lights are not very, very conducive for lulling and sleeping, but not very good for listening to, to messages. If God was to gatecrash your life today, Gatecrash, meaning left to yourself and myself, you'll never welcome God, I'll never welcome God. And if God was to gatecrash your, your life and my life rightfully, how would you describe your life in three words? If he gave you a chance, describe your life in three words. You want to turn to your neighbour and ask them? Describe your life in three words. And I tell you two words that are banned in your description. Cannot say stress, stress, stress. And cannot say food, food, food. Or durian, durian, durian. What might it be? Just keep that. How might you boil down the description of your life and your life in Singapore and your life as a Christian in this world? So let's keep that thought as we listen to God's Word. So here's one quote for somebody. Having one child makes you a parent, but having two children and more makes you a referee. Want me to say it in slow motion so you get the meaning of this? You never have to teach the children to fight. You don't need a doctrine of depravity, a doctrine of fallenness, a doctrine of sinfulness, because from young, they know how to fight. You have to bring peace. You never have to teach people how to fight. You always have to teach people how to live in peace. And you notice that from young. And why is that such an important thing? It's so important because it's at the heart of God's word and God's message to us in the book of Ephesians. Indeed, it's the summary of the entire Bible. So a description of your life, can we say that from morning to night, from Monday to Sunday, that left to yourself and left to myself, under the persuasion of the world and under Satan's temptations, your life will be a series of petty fights? Really petty, fighting about your breakfast, fighting about your clothing, fighting about the way you raise your kids, fighting about the way you drive. It's petty. And then this is not just for Monday that you do this, it's endless bickering. So it's petty fights, it's endless bickering, and then it's hopeless repetition. Every day you wake up, you press reset, I press reset, and say, this is life. How can this be the life that God gives us? When it's filled with petty fights in our hearts, flowing into our homes, flowing into our schools and our workplaces, and filling the whole world. Is that all to life? So somewhere along the line, we have to confess that we are warring people against God. And consequently, we are warring people against each other in our hearts, in all our relationships. Single, married, young, old, man, woman, boy, girl, whatever race. It's not whether you are at a war, but with who you will fight next. When will, you, will this fight take place? And how badly we war against each other every day. Which is how we started our time together. When you're a parent of two kids, you become a referee. You always have to teach them to share their toys. You always have to teach them. And so, what if there was no God? What if there was no God could boil down to three ways to describe your life? It's actually quite pointless living. And if you do suffer, and actually the last time you check, life without God living outside Eden with Satan and in the world that is fallen, it is meaningless suffering. It's suffering, but you ask how long? How long? As you see a loved one slowly decaying and passing away in a hospital or at home, 
slowly suffering, as you see Christians suffering around you, and then this hopeless waiting. Could that be a description of life? Could that be a description of the Christian life? That is pointless living, is meaningless suffering, and is hopeless waiting. Then why on earth press the reset button, repeat button, all the time, not reset? That day by day, year by year, life by life, this is the repetition of life under the sun. But what if there is a God? And what if there is a true and a living God who has a plan to do something about the hopelessness of our world, the hopelessness of our hearts and our homes? Can we read this? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so we've been saying for the past eight to nine weeks that God has a plan when he created us and God has a plan, that plan has come to fulfillment in Christ Jesus, is to put all things in heaven and all things on earth under the headship of Jesus. And remember from eight weeks ago when we started in Ephesians chapter 1, all things are in heaven, all things in heaven are all the heavenly beings in rebellion against God, led by Satan. And all things on earth are human beings led by Satan in rebellion against God and living such broken lives against Him and broken lives against each other. So I've titled this series, What on Earth is God Doing in Heaven? Does He know we are suffering? Does He know we are repeating this pattern of warfare day by day? Does He know that our life is a meaningless repetition? God not just knows, but He has a plan and it's a costly plan to him because it involved his son taking on flesh and going to the cross to defeat Satan, to forgive us of sin, and to reverse our destiny of death with life given to us. So Jesus has won the cosmic war against God. And if we were in a more vocal, responsive church, a charismatic church, Amen! Never mind. We are Presbyterians, we rejoice very irrationally. So God has a plan to end our war. And in chapter 2, verse 7, and he came, Jesus, and he preached peace to you who are far off and to you who are those who are near. For through Jesus and Jesus alone and his finished work on the cross, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you notice how Trinitarian this is? that all three persons are involved in peacemaking because Jesus has come as God's end-time king, the Christ. And it is him, through his finished work, his sacrificial love on the cross, that has broken down the barrier between God and us and us and each other, symbolized by the greatest barrier you could never break down in the ancient world. The greatest barrier you could never break down in the ancient world was between Jew and Gentile. Such hostility and animosity will there come a day now in modern-day Hong Kong where Hong Kongers and mainlanders can say, we are one. And I love you and you love me. 
is beyond us. Now in Brexit, in, with, in the UK, I was told, I, I went last year, you can mention anything in church, even sexuality, but you don't mention Brexit. Because you mention Brexit is the end of you. And seen in the Prime Minister's family, the whole family is split up whether we are exiters or we are remainers. And you think the world lives in peace? That is perhaps the most enduring democracy the world has seen. The British democracy. And so Jesus has come as God's ultimate peacemaker. And again, amen to this. Hallelujah to this. The end of the war in your heart began 2,000 years ago and now is still available to you and I. So by the time you reach chapter 6, he's drawing the threads together. Paul the Apostle, he's speaking about our spiritual battle, but notice which is bigger. I'm just checking your consciousness, not your intelligence. Which is bigger, battle or wars? Battles are part of a war. Must get that right. We fight battles to finally win wars. But please take note of the logic of this. The war against Satan and sin has been won by Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. What does that mean? If you choose, if you say that you are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, you are on the winning side. You don't have to ask who won. Jesus won. He rose from the dead. He's seated at God's right hand and He and the Father has poured out the Spirit of God into the lives of believers. Very important. So the call to spiritual battle now for Christians and the church over 2,000 years and however long we have to wait before Jesus returns again, the call to spiritual battle is part of God's war won by Christ. So why fight battles if the battles are not part of our war? So I've given this illustration many times. So I was in Boston about 20 years ago for my first sabbatical in Harvard, and I, I've told you that I like to go to uh, war cemeteries. And why do I like to go to war cemeteries? To see who laid down their life for us. Who laid down their life in the past for us. Who laid down their lives to fight tyranny for our freedom. And so I like to jog. And, and so one day as I was jogging, a thought came to my mind, why jog among the dead? It's a very strange thing, right? Have you ever thought about it? Why keep fit only to die? So there's one of our leaders here, whenever he reads of a report in the news, right, that somebody died while doing marathon, he'll say, I told you, exercise is dangerous. <laughs> exercise is very dangerous. <laughs> Have you ever wondered, why eat good food? Why watch your health? Why run? Why exercise when the grave... Why do anything when death is the final enemy you cannot conquer? Why fight battles in life when all are headed towards the grave? Nobody wins. Nobody wins. Why fight spiritual battles when we all die? No, friends. All who believe in Jesus will die physically and rise to eternal life. That is Paul's message. And we must believe that. Jew, Gentile, Asian, American, African. With that backdrop, we come to Ephesians 6.10 to 20. And a lot to unpack here for us to understand. Finally be strong in the Lord, obviously the Lord Jesus Christ, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against who? 
Against what? Against the what of the who? Against the schemes of the devil. Notice that for the apostles, because they believe in Jesus Christ, the devil is not an idea. The devil is not imagination. The devil is not speculation. He is not a joke. He's not a joke to God. He's not a joke to, to Jesus. He shouldn't be a joke to Jesus' church. And so I want to just pause there and ask of you, do you believe in Christ? If you believe in Jesus as the Christ and hence believe in God, you must believe that Satan exists. To stand against the, purpose, the person of God, the purposes of God for the people of God. Very easy to remember. Three Ps. Whatever you do not know about Satan and his allies, they stand against the person of God, the purposes of God for salvation and holiness, and the people of God. Very important for us to realize that. So what does he mean by finally? Some scholars will say he means last but not least. And there will be reason to believe that as Paul looks back on this, as he writes about God's cosmic plan to save us from the clutches of Satan and to wash us clean of sin and to give you a new life from an enemy of God to being a child of God, to reverse your, your eternal separation from Him, last but not least, this is what you must listen to. Or it could mean in the meantime, in the meantime, between the first coming of Jesus to usher in the kingdom of God, to invite us into the kingdom of God, and the second coming of Jesus to complete and to consummate the kingdom of God, where He will take us to the new heavens and the new earth. Which one could it mean? So some will say this and some will say that. I think there's weight in both. So I do not know how long you waited. I think my memory goes back to about when I was five, six years old, a very young boy. And my eldest brother had driven in our small town where I grew up in, in Malaysia. And he parked his car outside the school. There are two schools, right? And he said, just wait a while. I'm just going in. I'll come back in a little while. And I waited. And I waited. This was about 40 or uh, five years ago, 50 over years ago. And cars had no aircon. And cars had rolled me down windows. And I waited and I waited and it felt like eternity. By the time my eldest brother came back, my living memory is I was crying. No, I wasn't crying. I was sobbing because I thought he had abandoned me. <laughs> and so he came back and he tried to comfort me. And so why was I sobbing? I don't know. I was five, six years old. Why was I sobbing? Because I was waiting and waiting and suffering and waiting meaninglessly and waiting hopelessly, not knowing whether he would come back. When you live in this world, right, Christ has won the war and the church collectively and Christians, you and me, individually, personally, will carry on with, unlike the world outside the church, because Christ has come for us to bring in God's loving, saving purpose, your living must never be purposeless. We of all people as the church live purposefully. Agree? We of all people suffer but ours is a meaningful suffering. Because if you suffer meaninglessly, you ask yourself, why suffer anymore? Let's end it now. And we hope, 
but ours is a hopeful, uh, we wait, but ours is a hopeful waiting. Because as we do this final fierce battle against Satan, the three things must grip our minds and our hearts. No one else lives this way. Purposeful living, meaningful suffering as the church, and hopeful waiting for us. So are you ready? And he says, be strong in the Lord Jesus. By that he doesn't mean that we can be strong in and of ourselves. So I perhaps I've said it before, I say it again. When we go and pay our last respects at the funeral, and Mandai Crematorium, or Chochukang Cemetery, for those who are listening, these are the two main places where either we cremate the dead or bury our loved ones, respectively, here in Singapore. Oftentimes, we'll go up to the family that lost a loved one and say to them and comforting them, so sorry, my deepest sorrows and condolences, be strong, be strong. At least as a default, I, 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 I said that again and again, be strong. In having read Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 again, that has to be tweaked, that has to be corrected to be more faithful. You and me cannot be personally, stoically strong by our own will. There is nothing within me to be strong against the attacks of the evil one. And finally, when you and I face our enemy of death, we should actually say to each other in a moment of sorrow, the deepest moment of sorrow when we lose a loved one, the Lord strengthened you. Be strong in the Lord. You must never say to people, be strong in your soul. That is to decouple your strength from your faith relationship with God. Why is this important? Because Paul had written about it twice in Ephesians 1, that it is God's resurrection power that lifted Jesus from the dead. That lifted Jesus from the dead and enthroned him above all other authorities. Resurrection power. So spiritual strengthening is not something we do. It's something God does for us. And it's something God does in us. And that's what he prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. They were strengthened in our inner being by the Holy Spirit. Strengthened in our inner being by the Holy Spirit. So when you feel you've got nothing else to go on in your fight against Satan in this fallen world, pray for the strengthening and it's nothing less than the resurrection power of God. Nothing less than the resurrection power of God. One Sunday, every Sunday is special for us. And why is this? No, there's nothing special, it's just a family dinner. But I look forward to that family dinner. I highly commend that to you. We Singaporeans who hardly have dinners with each other and need to have a, a government initiative to say, have dinner with your family. We're the only nation with a campaign to have dinner with your family, you know that? Most people think it's normal. But because we work so hard and we work so long, we don't have dinners with each other and expect good marriages and we expect solid families. The family that doesn't eat together falls apart after a while. Because you spend your time eating with everybody else and that's how affairs begin. Lunch you eat with a very pretty girl. Lunch you eat with a very handsome man. More sensitive than your husband. How not to have an affair? That was a side point, by the way. 
So spiritual strengthening is not something you can do by yourself. It's something God does in us and through us. Vitally important that we get this right. And then he moves on to the armour of God. And very quickly, as if we are in children's church now, take a look. Hey, it's a picture. Who, what, which soldier does he have in mind? Does he have the Singapore soldier in mind when he wrote this? Of course, Singapore was non-existent. The number one soldier known throughout the whole Roman Empire was the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier was the best equipped soldier on planet Earth at that time. So I ask you to find the equivalent today. It could be a US Marine, a US Ranger, a commando. It could be an Israeli. It could be the Singapore Armed Forces. You would find a Roman soldier around every corner of the Roman Empire. So it gives a side point if you're ever teaching God's Word, right? You teach God's Word, you have to illustrate. What a good illustrator Paul is following the Lord Jesus Christ. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, sword of the Spirit, shield of faith, feet protected by the gospel. Six parts of this armour. What do you call that from top to bottom? Fully decked out. Almost invincible. No Achilles heel. So you fight against a Roman soldier, he is like invincible, impenetrable. So I'm going to turn this off now and then I want you to memorise this and then turn to your neighbour and give all six parts of the armour. Okay? One last look before I turn it off. One last look before... Isn't that a good thing? You know what? What I just said to you just 10 seconds ago, we will ask our children to do it. They said, we teach children, we must teach that way. But we adults, no need to remember. Really? No need to remember the armour of God? I'm going to say something at the end. Please remind me, if you don't remember the armour of God, there are fatal consequences. Notice I choose my word precisely. It's not serious consequences, but fatal spiritual consequences. Paul's mind goes back to this God being a warrior in the Old Testament, and now the latest for him 2,000 years ago was the Roman soldier totally decked out. So why the whole armour or the full armour of God refers to this twice? And the two reasons are, as Paul writes this, why do you need to put on the full armour of God? Because of the seriousness of the battle. And the more serious the battle, the more important your armour has to be. The more, uh, the more invincible your armour has to be. And the need for total dependence upon God. So how serious are you about this? About spiritual warfare against Satan and his allies? So my sister from Canada came last week. She just stayed two nights en route to Australia. And then as she stayed on that final night before she left off, then all of a sudden we looked up and there was a lizard on the wall. So what do you, see, what do, you do when you see a lizard? If you want to do anything about it, you try to kill it like a lizard or cockroaches, etc. How many of you look at the cockroach and say, Welcome. You're part of the family. Lizards maybe. So we have a cat in the family. So... Uh, <laughs> Mona said, hold up the cat, because the cat was looking at other things, didn't spot the lizard. Hold up the cat, I held up the cat, it spotted the lizard. But because it was right up in the ceiling, couldn't get up there. So I had to help my cat. Lah. So I got one of the dusters, the brooms, right? And say, I'll just chucho it, I'll just poke it, let the lizard fall, and see what the cat does. That's what I did. Chucho, lizard fell, cat went bang! Straight into his mouth. But didn't bite it. It's very clever, it loves to play with it. 
Then as my sister who was sitting there with my brother-in-law, my wife at the dining table, my sister and brother-in-law at the sofa, my, my daughter at the, uh, in the kitchen, as the cat caught the lizard, yeah! it's like World War III broke out. My sister screamed, the cat dropped the lizard. My daughter bolted up the stairs. I've never seen her run the 100 meters so fast. And I was thinking to myself, all this commotion in the child family over a lizard. It was a baby lizard. It was barely two inches long. And my goodness, we needed armor to fight that lizard. <laughs> of course, now that's a joke. I mean, it really happened. What armor do you need? It's a small lizard. And it ran away. So my sister and my brother-in-law asked me genuine questions because they live in Calgary. You know, what we used to listen to when we were young, right? You know, our parents used to tell us that you, when you chase a lizard, it drops its tail. If the tail goes into the ear, you go deaf. Is that true? Because they were sleeping downstairs, you see. So I said, are you serious asking that question? Are you serious? It's only a chicha. It's only that small and the tail. Come on. <laughs> what armor you put on depends on the fierceness of your enemy. If you know that somebody's going to break in through your front door or through your ceiling to rob you or do harm to your wife and your daughter and your children, how might you be dressed for the noise at the door or the noise in the ceiling? Somebody sent me a video once, no? Of how a house was broken into in Johor Bahru. I don't know why they sent me that, to discourage us from going to Johor Bahru or whatever. But it was frightening, three, four guys with a parang, right? And the camera filmed it, and so they played it back. And how they came in, how they silenced the dog by throwing uh, baited meat, poisoned meat, and the dog went silent. And how they came in, bang, bang, bang. I, if someone was going to break in through your front door of your HDB flat or your condominium or your house, would you go out to meet that potential thief in your boxes? I mean, in your underpants. Who would you send to meet that thief? I would send Mona. Did I say that? <laughs> I shouldn't, right? How you dress yourself, how you equip yourself, what armor you put on, really depends on who you face as your enemy. Your enemy is a lizard, the whole household doesn't have to go into commotion. Your enemy is a thief, a bunch of thieves with parangs to get a little bit more serious, I highly suggest you don't get up from your bed in your boxes and walk out there and say, what are you doing here? If your enemy is the devil and the whole array of demonic forces, how on earth are you going to face, face them? The seriousness of the battle and our total dependence upon God. Total dependence upon God. About 20 years ago, in our garden, I went out early in the morning, and then my dog was just going, and I said, what on earth? Stop it, stop it, it's so early. It was a cobra. Scared the daylights out of me. I ran into the house. I told my Filipino mate, and she actually asked me, sir, what happened? I said, cobra. Ayah, Philippines a lot lah. <laughs> really? I was chicken. I was still working in Princess Street at the time. So I called the police. Guess what? Police came with stun guns. Cobra, no? No joke. I came back 
and I asked my my maid, Sir, I also saw cobra. <laughs> She's, she went inside. She was frightened. When you face an enemy that you can't face, you call the police. They come with stun guns. When you face an enemy you can't cope with, you fall back completely on God. How serious is your enemy? Serious. How fierce is he? No quarter will be given and no quarter will be expected. You know that's English language? That means if you ever fight with Satan uh, in, in Singlish or Malaysian English, Bopan uh, Chansa. He's not going to say handicap. Uh, today you're not feeling too well, right? I'll give you a bit of leeway. There is no such thing. It's the full armour of God or nothing. And what is this armour of God? It's the armour that God supplies or this is God's armour itself. That this is what God himself puts on and in the Old Testament, it pictures God as a warrior and God marching off to fight with what? He marched off to fight with righteousness and he marched off to fight with truth. In other words, the only way to face off with Satan is to face off with God. Because only God and his characteristics can face off Satan. It makes complete sense. And so the background to this is Isaiah, where God is pictured as a warrior fighting on behalf of Israel as he's always been. And so, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, and tell me where? The heavenly places. Did you notice that Ephesians chapter 1 began where? That God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Where? In the heavenly places. And now it ends with, there's a spiritual warfare going on where? In the heavenly places. And that's why we call this a gospel hammer. And more so next week when you come, when we do a summary of this. Three truths about the devil and his allies. You and I need to know. They are supernatural. You're not fighting a human foe. With a human foe, you can think of some things. I just read an article about Israel and former ambassador of Israel said, we are preparing, we are always, right, prosecuting for peace, but preparing for war with Lebanon, uh, with Iran. Because the Hezbollah, once they get their, on their hands on nuclear weapons, we are finished as a nation. They will have a zillion rockets to fire at us and they will place it all around the Arab nations to kill off Israel. And so we got to kill off Iran before it gets its hands on nuclear weapons. That's a real war because the nations around don't think Israel should ever be there in the first place. You multiply that by a zillion times, no quarter is given between God and Satan. They are supernatural they are cunning or scheming. They are greater than any human foe, but not more powerful than Christ because God's resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead has defeated all of them. Three things you need to know about Satan and his allies. They are supernatural. They are scheming. They are powerful. You will never face off with them humanly. Never. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What does he mean by evil day? In other passages, it refers to evil days, plural. 
And evil days, plural, in, in Paul's writing, refer to the time between Jesus' first and second coming. An evil day, a possible meaning, is that between his first and second coming, in the life of his people, the church, there will come intense times of satanic attack, spiritual attack, either personally or collectively. Intense times in which you think this is it. This is the end of the church in, in, in Germany. This is the end of the church in Rwanda. This is the end of the church in China. This is the end of the church in India. Intense time. And sometimes you could face this in your own personal life. I can't take it anymore. I'm caving in. The schemes of the devil, I've said this to you many times, fall into four main things. Firstly, doctrinal confusion. And doctrinal confusion, he had hinted of this in chapter 4, verse 14. The schemings of the devil. And what is doctrinal confusion? Is to make you feel insecure about Jesus. You have Jesus, but insecurity about Jesus is always a false teaching. There is no Jesus but teaching. There is no Jesus but gospel. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. If today is the last day you are, is the last day of your life, and you're slowly passing away on in your home or in hospital, there is no Jesus and there is no Jesus but. I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm coming back to you, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your Son, the Good Shepherd. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Personal seduction. No longer live as the Gentiles do. And what do Gentiles do? They speak falsehood to each other. You're so used to speaking falsehood instead of the truth. And what is it that Gentiles do? We rage. We gossip. And what is it that Gentiles do? We are so used to low standards of sexuality. Among you as God's people in chapter 5, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality. So it's that personal seduction that is there. Then there's the relational division. Did you notice that from 521 onwards, you'll sub submit to each other out of reverence for Christ? Then three relationships come on view. Husband's wife, parent, child, master, slave. And all three relationships must be redeemed relationships. And if we don't live them under Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the three relationships will be derailed if not destroyed. Isn't that true? So speaking to one of my small group members, talking about marriages falling apart, I said, yeah, I come from another church. And right now I can just name how many of my friends, we're all in our 50s now, and the majority of the marriages are all on the rocks. We all went to Varsity Fellowship together. We all swore our lives to Christ. But you know how hard it is to keep this marriage pure and holy? How hard it is indeed. The relational division and the physical persecution, as Paul writes this, he's in prison actually. He's in chains for Christ. But his hands are chained, but his heart and his lips are not chained. He continues to speak even though he could be in house arrest. Which one of this could the devil be attacking you with? And notice the devil's schemes. The word is plural. It means that at any time he could attack you with different things. Doctrinal confusion, personal seduction, 
relational division, physical persecution. Which one is it? You and me have to be ready. I'll wrestle against Satan. Spiritual battle is not press a button, missile flies, somebody does the fighting for you. It's up close and personal. Wrestling. You wrestle with the devil. You know you are in spiritual warfare when every part of you is caught up with this. Mentally, you can't stop thinking. Relationally, it consumes you. Physically, it starts to affect you. And Satan's work is to deform the image of God in you. Our wrestle against Satan is personal and up close and personal. Spiritual battles will consume you during the day and will keep you up at night. When something consumes you the day and keeps you up at night, you don't have to guess whether it's a spiritual attack. It is a spiritual battle. When you toss and turn in bed, you can't get that thought of your mind. It's Satan working overtime on you. If you don't know this, please read a follow-up book to the Bible. This is the best passage on this. Read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, which I read very early on as a young Christian because that's what my pastor recommended to me. Whatever you do not know about spiritual battles, read that. Read that. The Screwtape Letters and how Satan works with his minions. So, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so this is what we are to put on, three things. Put on what? Put on God's armour is to put on God himself. And when you read the epistle in totality, is to put on Christ's virtues of humility to fight pride, meekness to fight insistence and aggressiveness. You know, you could be very insistent in your, in your relationships. You could be very aggressive, saying that your perceptions are right, that your word is right. And long-suffering, when you are tempted to, to just lose it at this moment, I'm going to give up, I'm going to walk out. And forbearance, I just got a message this morning. I... Uh, this person just said, I just gave my spouse an ultimatum. I'm walking out. And the spouse was just stunned. I could repeat that, repeat that every year. I could repeat that almost every month. If there wasn't the occurrence of that, we wouldn't be in a job. I just stunned my spouse by saying to him, I had enough. No more long-suffering for me. I'm cutting the long-suffering. Enough of long-suffering. Forbearance and love. Imitating Christ in his sacrificial love, in his costly love, in his inconvenient love. In all circumstances, you take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the sword of the Spirit, no dichotomy between spirit and word. Spirit and word. So I've cracked this joke over the last 20, 30 years. You know that next door is going through a huge building project. They'll be ready by December 2020. So what does that mean for us? We better paint our building before then. Never mind. Because they're rebuilding. Some of you may be here. And they say, actually, some people are telling me to go to Trinity. So I walk, walk, walk. Hey, I found no Trinity. Then I walk into your church. Lah. <laughs> then I said, not bad, lah, your church. The preaching, not bad. But they're Holy Spirit people, right? So they're Holy Spirit people and we're Word people, lah. Where do you find that dichotomy? <laughs> because the sword of the Spirit is the Word. So are we Spirit people, ARPC? 
Only one section said yes. <laughs> this section are true blue Presbyterians. No, you got it wrong. Presbyterians are spirit people. You never decouple spirit from word. There's no such thing as one church is the spirit church and the other church is the word church. The sword of the spirit is the word. That's the offense, the offensive weapon. All the rest are defensive. So you take up faith, you take up the helmet of salvation, you take up the word of God, and you take this up against what? You take this up against Satan and his name and his work. He is known as the accuser. He is known as the liar. And whatever you do not know what Satan throws at you, he will accuse you. Firstly, he will seduce you, tempt you. And then when you do the sin, he will accuse you. And then he will condemn you. And then he will lie about it. So why do you want to have to do anything with this being who does this? Sure lose one with him. Sure lose prospect. And stand, stand, stand. So whatever Satan throws at us as believers in Jesus, you choose Jesus' victory. You choose Jesus' virtues. You choose Jesus' promise that he will return for his church. You keep on choosing Jesus is the Christ, no matter what Satan throws at you. So a few weeks ago, the thing that raged around the evangelical Christian world was Josh Harris, Pastor Josh Harris, who wrote, I kiss dating goodbye, gave up on his faith. How should that affect you in Singapore? And my answer was, we are compassionate towards Josh Harris and pray for his repentance, but that should have zero repercussion on me, Pastor Chris Cha, in Singapore. Don't you think so? Because Pastor Josh Harris doesn't know I exist. But Jesus knows I exist. And Jesus loves me. And Jesus died for me. And Jesus bled for me. And Jesus intercedes for me. And Jesus waits for me. And Jesus will return for me. Please don't give yourself any excuse to give up on Jesus. You have zero excuse to give up on Jesus because the last time you checked, Jesus loved you with an undying love. Nobody has done that for you and me to rescue you from Satan and sin. So I want you now to just check yourself. The devil will say to you, everybody has a price. You just haven't identified the price. Everybody has vulnerabilities. You just haven't identified it. Everybody has Achilles heel. Everybody has a chink in the armor. Have you identified yours? That you're willing to pay the price to sell your soul to the devil? Please identify what you are most weak at. Because if you don't know that, Satan knows that. And Satan knows how to work over time on that in your moments of pride and weakness. Did you notice he ends with the four O's of prayer? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Please keep spiritually alert. Spiritually alert, that means sensitized to God and His purposes. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I call this the four O's of prayer. So let me ask you ask me after this sermon, and I ask you now, which one of this have you been weak in doing that you have not prayed at all times? You've not prayed with all kinds of prayer. 
You're not prayed with all perseverance. You're not prayed for all the saints. Answer is fail in all four areas. So I was going to say to you what I started with. You know why your life and my life is a mess? You know why your life and my life is so anemic and so weak? Because we don't take spiritual warfare seriously. And we don't take the full armor of God seriously. We don't take God's call to pray, pray, pray. We call this all-encompassing prayer. All-covering prayer. For at all times, in all places, for all the saints. And this is what I like with all perseverance. I may pray furiously for a time for something, then I let up. I get a bit lazy. You get a bit lazy. Bang! Satan hits you big time. And so, our spiritual battle in ending, please take note that from this point onwards, I want you to, to make Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 one of not your favorite Bible verses, Bible verses is your survival Bible verse. You will live by this. Amen? Can I implore this? And next year in the handbook, whichever handbook we're going to put this in, is going to be part of you living as a child of God, living as a follower of Jesus. Please remember in your daily life, from morning to night, you have only one arch enemy. And who is that? Please don't say your father. Please don't say your mother. Please don't say your wife. And please don't say your pastors. I'm not your enemy. And at any time within the church, you find that someone is your enemy apart from Satan, you have fallen into spiritual warfare. I declare under God to you in my heart, I don't exist to be your enemy. If I have become your enemy, you have made me your enemy. And you have fallen into spiritual warfare. If we are the church of Jesus Christ, we have only one enemy. Is that true? If you stand there after a long day at work, doing the dishes, hearing a crying child with parents who are sick and you are about to break down and everybody seems to be an enemy because you are at war with all of them. Everybody demands so much time and energy. You've got nothing else to give. You are, you are most tempted to think you've got so many enemies around you. You are in spiritual warfare. You have only one enemy and he's making you enemies with everybody else. You got that right? And then you need the full armor of God. Not some parts of it, not most parts of it, but it's the full armor of God. And then what you need from day to day is all-round prayer, all-encompassing prayer. You let down on any of these truths and I promise you, as you can warn me, I warn you as you should warn me, I, Christian, will be a sitting duck for Satan to work. You should rejoice that I've been here for 29 years. If I ever left this church, you must pray that I carry on to the end of my days. Amen? As I will pray for you if I ever leave this church. You do not take this for granted. I rejoice every time you tell me, someone will say, Pastor Chris, this is our wedding anniversary. And I try to remember roughly, not roughly, I say 15 years, 15 years, about there, about there. You rejoice every year you stay married. Don't you think so? Hello. Hello, we are spirit people. Or do you take that for granted? That you're such a nice person, your marriage will last. Because look at me, I'm so nice. Right? You think so? 
And you think your children will be believers in Jesus now and forevermore if you don't cover them with all-encompassing prayer? If you don't teach them to put on the full armor of God and you don't teach them there's only one enemy in their life? It's very important, friends. The outcomes of the spiritual battle, 6-9, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. See, Paul teaches this. says, please pray. I taught you to pray. Can you please pray for me? He's just putting this into application. Please pray for me that I might open my mouth boldly. He's now in prison. Have you been put in prison? You are put in prison. I tell you what, something called fear might strike you. Something called fear might surround your heart from morning to night. Two years ago, one of our brothers got arrested in Myanmar. Ask Lao, what was his main feeling from morning to night in a foreign jail? not knowing how long he'll be there, I would say fear would be a big word. When, when you sleep with 20 other men and you do not know whether they're going to sodomize you or kill you because you're a foreigner. And Paul was in jail. Pray for me to be bold in proclaiming the message for which I'm ambassadors in chain, ambassador in chains. Then I declare boldly twice, overcome fear with faith and courage. Courage is from the Lord. Peace to be to the brothers. Love with faith from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to be with you, with you all, who love our Lord Jesus. Lord, love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. I actually miss one love. Three loves in two verses. The outcome of spiritual warfare, the outcome of spiritual warfare with Satan and his allies is that you carry on with gospeling. You carry on with the mission of God. You carry on with proclaiming Jesus and sharing Jesus with your family and friends, with your neighbors and to the nations, because that's what God told you to do. Then you carry on the mission is a mission of love. Love, love, love. In love, He chose you, and in love, He sends you. And the church of Jesus Christ must never tire of the gospel of love. Amen? So why fight spiritual battles? You must know the outcome of this. I'm just looking at my phone, not for the time. But I took some notes of something I wanted to share just to get. So by God's grace, I went to preach in, in Korea. And August was a busy month and full of wonderful opportunities to just bless the church of God. And this is our second time there by God's grace, just preaching to university students from all over the world had gone to come to Korea to study. Uh, many of them on scholarships, very bright students, average person with a master's, a PhD, etc. And one of them was a mainland Chinese. Let's say his name was Fan Fan. When I met Fan Fan last year, he had just become a Christian. And when I met Fan Fan last year, he had just become a Christian. Guess, as I preached the gospel last year to him, he stood with me and asked me to pray for him. Guess what was his prayer? Pastor Chris, help me to pray for my father and mother because if I tell them I become a Christian, I'm going to really be on the wrong side. They're going to be so upset with me. So I met Fan Fan this year. Right? And he got up to give a testimony because each night of the conference, somebody gives a testimony. So Fan Fan, right? he started to pray for his family's conversion. He started to pray that his father and mother would not be so angry with him and pray for the conversion. And then he, he lived with a roommate. The roommate was Korean. And the roommate was doing state-of-the-art uh, research in genetics. 
and um, there's this genetic testing that's come out from America. So the roommate kept bugging him, go and do this test, lah. go and do this genetic test. It's able to trace all your relatives, all your relatives. So week after week, I don't know how long his, his roommate bugged him and says, okay, lah, I'll go and do it. So he went for, did the genetic test, right? And the test is called 23andMe. And doctors, please get this right. Is it 23 chromosomes? Is it right? So 23andMe is the, is the testing kit. And then he found all his relatives in China, but he had one relative in America. And that relative's name, according to this genetic test, is so good, it was stretched it out. I had the name Grace Martin. I'm Chinese, I'm from Suzhou, fun fun. So he rang his dad. Dad, do you have any relatives in China? No lah. Of course, no lah, not no lah. But no, no relatives. So he was inquisitive and his, his roommate said, go and track it down on Facebook, go and track this down. And so he tracked down all the Grace Martins, all the Grace Martins, all the Grace Martins. And finally, he tracked down a Grace Martin who was a Chinese. And then he contacted her. And guess where she came from? She came from Suzhou. He now rang his mother and says, I found this relative in America. Right? My mother, then the mother said, I now have to share a family secret with you. The mother's brother, his uncle, had two children during the one-child policy. And so they gave away the second child, a daughter. Two daughters, they gave away the second one. And they gave it away to another Chinese couple. And after that, the Chinese couple got divorced. And after they gave the child away, they regretted and went back to take back the child by, by which time the couple had divorced. So they were looking for that second child all their life. Right? And what happened? An American couple came and adopted that child and brought them back to America, brought her back to America and named her Grace Martin. And she was found through the genetic test. It's amazing, don't you think? And then when he found that out, all these things, this secret, right? This secret. And told her she couldn't believe it. And it was two weeks before the wedding of Grace Martin's sister back in China. So she also went back and so picture this, they are at the wedding, and after the wedding, Fun Fun now has prayed to God all these years to share the gospel. As he shares the gospel, he finds out that his uncle, Grace Martin's real father, has been going to church for three years, but he's not given his life to Christ. And that very night, as Fun Fun shared with him, he gave his life to Christ. And then his own father, that Fun Fun was so worried about, that will be so angry, actually acknowledged on the night of the wedding when all this came into the clear, only God could have joined up the dot points. Only God could have joined up the dot points. And let me read my notes on this. So let me get it right. That there he was, Fun Fun, a young convert, and all he was praying for, he prayed, he prayed for his own nuclear family to know Christ. Little did he know that God would organize for his extended family to know Christ. And that was it. Moral of the story, 
all of us should do that test. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. They're having a sale in November. That's what I was told by the father of this geneticist. And so I'm going to buy it. Then you will find out relatives from all over the world. Isn't it amazing? The two things that will stop you from sharing Christ. I become a Christian. My parents are going to oppose me. And love. You never. When you fight the spiritual battle against Satan, the two outcomes of the spiritual battle is you carry on with boldness to share Christ and you carry on with the love of Christ and you leave it entirely to Him. I do not know about you, but when I heard that story, it just blew me away. How could God have orchestrated this? Because the Father had preempted me the night before. When you hear the testimony tomorrow, I want to tell you it's true. I said that it can't be true. It is true. That's how the gospel carries on. And so here we are as God's people, hearing about God, hearing about Christ, hearing about the spiritual war that has been won by Christ, and hearing about our exhortation to carry on with the battle. Will you acknowledge you have only one enemy? Will you acknowledge with all humility you need the full armor of God? Will you acknowledge that you need the all-encompassing prayer to stand and in the end, simply to stand. The Lord bless us.